Our sermon this afternoon is from Pastor Steve Andrews. It is entitled, Samuel and Saul. In 1 Samuel, the 15th chapter, in verse 35, and he's got it up there, I'm finishing the story. <laughs> One verse. And Samuel came no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord repented that he had made Saul king over Israel. The interesting historical points and narrative that goes before this verse and how it came about are a part of a story I probably will not be able to finish today. But I think that it's very interesting and very profound that in this are a lot of lessons to be learned that if you have a Bible like I have, you will see that God speaks an awful lot in the Old Testament. And he has a booming voice and a very distinctive voice in the Old Testament. And it's very important because the Bible does talk about those being examples. I didn't give this to, um, to uh, Brian, but in 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, just real quickly here, um, it was, uh, let me get my book here and everything. Um, beginning in just two verses here, verse uh, 11 and 12. Now, all these things, that's... Everything that happened in, in the past up to this point happened to them for examples. And they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. How important are all of the, of the words in the Bible? When we get to, to where we're studying and we're thinking and we're meditating on them, we realize that God has, has provided a profound amount of information that can bring us through and give us strength and faith and confidence. And I appreciate um, Curtis's first message because I think it will tie in pretty well today, especially with one of the ones that are in this. Now, a lot of times we skip over and we just start reading. We forget that sometimes there's an introduction to these uh, books. First Samuel has an introduction in my Bible. Um, by the way, I have the, the Sword Bible, King James Version, easy reader. And the reason why it's an easy reader, because uh, I've always had a little trouble with the these and the thous and the different words that are a little bit archaic. So they've kept the um, character and um, uh, the words of the King James, but given those these and thous to, to more modern English. And I have a little bit of a, a read here. It's not very much, not very long, but I'd, I'd like to, for uh, us, before we get into the book, uh, to read this survey. The books of Samuel record the transition from theocracy to, to monarchy and the establishment of the monarchy. The story begins in the closing days of the judges and leaves us with the aged David securely enthroned as king over Israel and Judah. 
And the other two great figures are Samuel and Saul. Samuel was the last of the judges and the first of the prophets. He was a man of great piety and spiritual discernment, wholly dedicated to the realization of God's purpose for Israel. Although not of the Aaronic descent, he succeeded Eli in the priestly office. He seemed to have been the first to have established an institution for the training of young men for the prophetic calling. He was called upon to guide Israel in some of the greatest crises of her history. And he falls little short of the stature of Moses. Without any desire on his part, he found himself in the role of kingmaker commissioned to anoint Saul, the first king, and David, Israel's greatest king. And so you can see the importance, even just reading the summary, uh, of how it spreads out that the importance of this book and how profound it is. And, and what the overall a, a picture is that God is still involved. Even in, in Judges, you know, he's, he's the theocracy. He's over it all. Um, he would spank Israel, so to speak, uh, with a, sometimes great uh, trials and tribulations. But they would come around. They would repent. They would come back. And then, again, he would uh, um, bring peace, and then they would, they would sin again. And constantly those were things that he would do, and he would, he would bring judges upon Israel to bring them out of their, their problems. Well, in the book of Samuel, in the, in, we've, we've, we start out with a very interesting person. I think there's one of the most profound and interesting ones next to Ruth and maybe... Uh, uh, Hagar and some of the other ones that are in the Bible. This lady, this woman, um, and you've got to realize we're looking at a different time altogether, aren't we? We're not looking at this modern society where we have uh, uh, women's suffrage and women's this and women's that and femin feminists and all of that thing going on. Women were pretty much under the, the uh, um, cloak of their, of their husbands and, and they were uh, didn't have a whole lot of things except to, to be wives and children bearers. And it's interesting that they're not children bearers, they can also receive a lot of persecution. And that happened with, a, with this young woman called Hannah. Let's, let's pick it up here in chapter 1, and I'm, needless to say, this is a very large subject <laughs> with a lot of, of scriptures, and I probably may not be able to make it all the way to, through uh, Saul, so I want to say that I will probably do a series on this because I think that the understanding of the kings of Israel can help us to have an understanding of how God looks at government and how government operates. Even though these were monarchies, he still had a very distinct and powerful opinion, and he does even today. And we understand that even though um, we don't see him directly with his hands on it. We know that God is watching what's going on in the society and the world around us. And we have prophecies about things that are, that are going to come. So let's pick it up here in 1 Samuel, the first chapter. Now there was a certain man of um, Ramoth Amzophim, if you want to try to, and I have these things all marked out, and I still can't do it, of Mount Ephraim, and his name was El uh, Cana, 
the son of Jeroham, and the son of Eliahu, the son of Tohu, and the son of Zeph, and an Ephrathite. You may be better at that than I am. And he had two wives. He had two wives. That's kind of interesting that in that day and age, um, polygamy was not looked down on as long as they were called wives or, or porcupines. I mean concubines. <laughs> uh, today we, you know, we have uh, the sister wives. <laughs> and uh, we kind of look down on that. But you've got to realize that in multiple wife situations, there was, a, there was problems. There was a, a, um, a lot of infighting and things. Uh, and she probably had some persecution because Hannah, the name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Penayana. And Penayana had children. But Hannah had no children. And this man went up to the city yearly to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophniah and Pinehas, and the priests of the Lord were there. Now, so that I won't be just uh, staying in this one area all the time, I'm going to skip a lot. If you really want the, the fullness of this and the depth of this, you can go through and you can read the whole thing. But for time's sake, it's, it's going to have to be one of those where we'll have to kind of uh, jump around a little bit and go into to some other uh, areas. Now, in verse 11 it says, And she vowed a vow, because she was without children. She didn't have any children. She had, um, her husband loved her, but she was without children, and so she had a lot of problems at home, because she did not have children. And so when they went up, she vowed a vow. She was on her knees, praying quietly, silently, and, of course, Eli looked at her and says, man, you're drunk. She was praying to God to help her. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your handmaid and remember me and not forget your handmaid, but will give your handmaid a man-child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. And it came to pass that she continued praying before the Lord, then Eli marked her mouth. Now Hannah, she spoke in her heart, and only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. And therefore Eli thought she was drunken. Well, if it comes to the thing that she says, no, I wasn't drunk. Let's turn now to, to, over to, um, and, and, uh, and she, she explained that, and she explained what she was praying for. Let's turn to 1 Samuel now, the first chapter, 20, beginning in verse 27. Um, actually, I'd like to start a little earlier than that. Verse 26. She said, O oh, my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman that stood by you here praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has given me my petition, which I ask of him. Therefore, also, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. So the child, of course, was Samuel. The child was Samuel. Now one of the most beautiful, the most profound prayers was Hannah's prayer. And it is so, um, just, just so beautiful because she's so thankful for the blessing 
that God has given her this child and that she has lent this child. And of course, Samuel has be, will become, um, God will bless him and her. In chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, and I'm going to read her prayer here. I'm going to begin and I'm going to read all uh, verses uh, up to verse 11. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth is enlarged over my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy as the Lord, for there is none beside you, neither is there any rock like our God. Talk no more exceeding proudly. Let not arrogancy come out of your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. She is not ignorant, brethren. This woman is quite profound, and this prayer from her is so, uh, so wonderful. The bows of mighty men are broken, and they are stumbled and girded with strength. They that are full have hired out themselves for bread, and they that were hungry ceased, so that the barren has borne seven, and she that has many children is waxed feeble. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and brings up. And the Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and lifts up. He raises up the poor out of the dust, and lifts up the beggar from the dunghill to set them among, among princes and to make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he has set the world upon them. He will keep the feet of his saints, and the wicked shall be silent in the darkness, for by strength shall no man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces, out of heaven shall he thunder upon them. The Lord shall judge the ends of the earth. He shall give strength to his king, and exalt the horn of his anointed. And Elkanah went to Ramah to his house. And the child did minister to the Lord before Eli the priest. And so um, we find here her prayer that she prayed was so powerful and so strong. And because God blessed her, and she was faithful, she was patient, as we heard in our first message. She was very faithful, very patient, and God blessed her. And she did give her, did lend her son to the service of the Lord. And God blessed Samuel, too, for that. Now, at this time, we find something very interesting. The priests that were there, Eli and his two sons, his sons were very wicked. Eli was, um, um, tried, to, tried to convince them not to be so wicked. Well, let's, let's turn to, 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 to um, this is the, you're in the second chapter. Let's pick it up here in verse 22. Now, Eli was very old and heard all that his sons did to all Israel and how they lay with women at the assembly at the door of the tabernacle of congregation. Uh, I would say they were pretty wicked. I'm not sure how that worked out and, and why there wasn't any, uh, um, anyone taking care of them, but obviously um, God saw that. And he said to them, Why do you such things? For I hear you, you, uh, your evil dealings by the, all this people. Nay, my sons, for it is no good, it's not a good report that I hear. 
you make the Lord's people to transgress. If one man sin against another, the judge shall judge him. But if a man sin against the Lord, which is what they were doing, who shall entreat them? Notwithstanding, they hearken not to the voice of their father, because the Lord would slay them. And the child Samuel grew and was in favor with the Lord and also with men. And it's interesting, there came a man of God to Eli and, and prophesied about the wickedness that his two sons and him were allowing to go on in that, in that particular situation. And you can read that. Um, he told them they were going to die. They, they, they were not going to, to survive, that they were going to die. And um, it, it did come to pass. And from, chap, from verse, um, this man that came, the words that he said, spoke to Eli were actually the words of God. So from verse 27 to 36, in my Bible, um, they're all in red. And they're powerful words. But I want to I go ahead and, and, and pick it up with Samuel. Because now we're, we're talking about God working with Samuel. God um, taking the, the opportunity to, to see this young child and begin to talk to him. And the child, the, the child Samuel, verse 1 of, of um, chapter 3, the child Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. And we've, we find here that also that now um, the Lord began to talk and call Samuel. And so let's, let's skip down. Let's go to verse 8. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for he did call me. And Eli perceived that the Lord had called the child. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and it shall be, if he call you, that you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went, laid down in his place, and the Lord came and stood and called as at, as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, Speak, for your servant hears. And the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do a thing in Israel at which both the ears of every one that hears it shall tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli all things which I have spoken concerning his house. When I begin, I will also make an end. So he even tells Samuel what he's going to do to Eli because of his wickedness and his son's wickedness. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows because his sons made themselves vile and he restrained them not. And therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli the iniquity of Eli's house shall be purged, shall not be purged with sacrifice nor offering forever. So they would, that was going to be the end of Eli's um, house and his, and his, um, and his, uh, his, even his generations. In verse 15, Samuel lay up uh, until morning and opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel feared to show Eli the vision. Then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he answered, Here am I. And he said, What is this thing that the Lord has said to you? I pray you, hide not it from me. God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all the things that he said to you. Samuel told him every, every whit. 
hid nothing from him. And he said, As the Lord let him do what seems to him good. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and did let none of his words fall to the ground. And all of Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established to be the prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to, the, to Samuel in Shiloh in the word of the Lord. Now it's interesting in chapters... <laughs> I, I, before I go on to there, I've got a little history lesson. Uh, that's, I thought it was interesting right there at that point in stopping and, and looking at what God had said previously about Israel. Let's go back to the beginning, um, back to the second chapter of Judges. And let's, let's look at a little history lesson here that God gives to Israel. He says in the beginning of verse, verse 7, And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he had did for Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old. They buried him in the border of his inheritance in Timnath, he rests in the, in the Mount of Ephraim on the north side of the, gil, uh, the hill of uh, Gaash. And also all that generation were gathered to their fathers, and those, there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done in, for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and served Balaam. And they forsook, forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt, and followed other gods. Gods of the, uh, uh, the people that were round about them, and bowed themselves to them, provoked, and provoked the Lord in the anger. And they forsook the Lord, and served Baal, and Astaroth. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And he delivered them into the hands of the spoilers, and spoiled them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies round about, so that they could not any longer stand before their enemies. Wherever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil, as the Lord has said. And the Lord has sworn to them, and they were greatly distressed. Neither the, nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges which delivered them out of the hand of those who spoiled them. And so we see that there is, um, <laughs> there is correction, you know, because he's over them. He is, he is watching over them, and they go and they, and they worship these false gods and these false things, God corrects them and then puts a judge in place that they might um, repent. And they would not hearken to their judges, but they went a-whoring after other gods and bowed themselves to them. They turned quickly out of the way which their fathers walked in, obeying the commandments of the Lord, but they did uh, not so. And when the Lord raised them up, judges, then the Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies. All the days of the judge, for it repented the Lord because of their groanings by reason of them that oppressed them and vexed them. And it came to pass when the judge was dead that they returned and corrupted themselves more than their fathers in following other gods to serve them and bow down to them. And they ceased not from their own doings doing 
from their stubborn way. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And he says, because that my, that, that this people has transgressed my covenant, which I commanded their fathers, and have not hearkened to my voice, I also will not hereafter drive out any from before them of the nations which Joshua left when he died, that through them I may prove Israel, whether they will keep the way of the Lord to walk therein as their fathers did keep it or not. Therefore the Lord left those nations without driving them out hastily, neither delivered them into the hand of Joshua. And it's interesting in the beginning, if you remember, before they went into the promised land, God says, I'll, I'll drive them out. I'll send bees, I'll send wild animals, and I'll slowly drive them out of the land. You won't have to worry about it. I'll take care of them. I'll, I'll drive these, these nations out of the land for you. Well, <laughs> it's interesting that uh, being a warrior nation and wanting to use the sword and the blade and all of that, they said, nope, we would rather fight. God says, okay, that's fine. He says, but you do it my way. You, you, you do it my way. And when they did it his way, they won. When they decided to do it their own way, what happened? They lost big time. And yet, it's interesting that they still would not learn from those, those things. And it's just like the history lessons that we, that we teach, that we try to understand, they forgot. And they went to these false gods. And they worshipped these false gods. And they angered God, even though they lived under God's rulership. And it happened time after time after time. And I think for us today, we need to understand that we are also influenced by the world around us, the false things that, that, that come uh, to bother us, and, and we need to think. What's God think about what I'm doing in this life and how I'm living and how I'm worshiping him? And so consequently, when we go back and we look at these historical perspectives, because that's what it is, they're not stories, they're, they're truth. And those truth can help us in a lot of different ways. Now, verse three, or, uh, chapter 3, and um, just a just a few verses here. Now these are the nations which the Lord left to prove Israel by them even as many of Israel as had not known all the wars of Canaan. Only that the generations of the children of Israel might know to teach them war, at least such as before knew nothing thereof. Namely, five lords of the Philistines and, of the Can and all the Canaanites and the Sidonians and the Hivites that dwelled in Mount Lebanon and from Mount uh, Baal Hermon to the entering of Hamath. And they were to prove Israel by them, to know whether they would hearken to the commandments of the Lord, which he commanded their fathers by the, by the hand of Moses. And the children of Israel dwelled among the Canaanites, the, Hitt the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, um, I always like to call them these, these parasites, but these are the parasites, <laughs> and the Hivites and the Jebusites. And they took their daughters to be their wives, and gave their daughters to their sons, and served their gods. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and forgot the Lord their God, 
and serve Balaam in the groves. And it was a constant thing that was happening. And yet God was, God was there. He was the ruler. He was the theocracy over them. And it proves that, you know, human nature being what it is, we can be influenced by the things that are around us and the things that are there. And we, have, we live in a very free society. And that means freedom with a lot of sins that we can actually participate in or uh, be visually um, a part of. It's, uh, it's amazing. Anyway, back to First, uh, first Samuel again. Now, the, to me, this is one of the, this is very funny. Three verses, or three chapters. Uh, four, five, and six. Uh, because <clears throat> the Philistines win. And when they win, excuse me, and when they win, they, uh, they steal the Ark of the Covenant. <laughs> um, when they steal the Ark of the Covenant, they, um, it goes before their, their gods, and they, um, <laughs> it's very interesting, the first time that they put it in front of one of their gods, they, um, it, it falls down and bows before the Ark of the Covenant. The second time that it, it goes before that same, um, they, they put it up, they set it back up, and, and the next day they come and it falls down and the head's gone. <laughs> wow, it, this is powerful. They said, well, we can't have this happen, so hey, let's take it to our neighbor. <laughs> uh, he, he, he should be able to take care of this, this Ark of the Covenant. So they take it to the neighbor. Uh, and I thought that was interesting also because now the neighbor starts having all kinds of physical problems. And we won't talk about those physical problems because they're kind of a little embarrassing, those physical problems that they're having. <laughs> so anyway, so they think, hmm, well, let's take it to another neighbor. I don't like the physical problems we're having. So they take it to the third neighbor. And they start having some more physical problems. And so what do they do? They take it and they say, we probably ought to take this back. <laughs> we probably shouldn't take and keep the Ark of the Covenant. And so they put it on a, I can't remember how they do it, they put it on a car, they do some, something, and they, they give it back to the Israelites. They don't want it anymore. Not only that, but they, they bring some, some, uh, some offerings. Uh, they, they do some golden offerings of their physical problems. <laughs> I thought that was pretty, pretty clever of them, you know. Hey, there's a, this, was our, this is what we got, so we're giving it back to you in gold. Anyway, you can read that. It takes a while to read through those, those verses, those chapters, 4, 5, and 6. But it comes back to Israel, and Israel... Um, keeps the Ark of the Covenant. Let's go to um, the seventh chapter now. As we look at what happens to the children of Israel as they lose and they, and they, they want a king now. Beginning in verse 8 of chapter 7. Now I know I'm, uh, I, I'm leaving out a lot, but uh, for time's sake and all of that. There's a lot of material here. 
The children of Israel said to Samuel, Cease not to cry to the Lord our God for us, that he will save us out of the hand of the Philistines. And Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it for a burnt offering, holy to the Lord. And Samuel cried to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord heard him. Now remember now, these were, their, these were left in the land, and they became um, like thorns in their sides and enemies that they, they were constantly having to fight. And, and every once in a while, they would repent. They would ask God to forgive them. And Samuel actually was able to, 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 to help them here. Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, and the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day upon the Philistines and discomforted them, and they were smitten before Israel. And the men of Israel went out um, of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines, smote them until they came under Bethkar. And Samuel took a stone and set it before Mizpah and Shin and called the name of it Ebenezer. That means the stone of hell. So when we sing that one about Ebenezer, we know what that one is, huh? Say, thus far has the Lord helped us. So the Philistines were subdued, and they came no more into the coast of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. And the cities which the Philistines had taken from the Israel were restored to Israel, from El Ekron even to Gath, and the coast thereof did Israel deliver out of the hands of the Philistines. And there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. And Samuel judged in Israel all the days of his life. And he went from year to year in circuits to Bethel, Gilgal, Mizpah, and judged Israel in all those places. And his return was Ramah, Ramah, Ramah for there was his home. And there he judged Israel, and there he built an altar to the Lord. So we see Samuel taking on the office of um, priest and prophet and, and, and all of the various things that Samuel, and he, and he lived a very long life. But unfortunately, also his sons were not quite as honorable and as, and as good as he was. So in, beginning in chapter 8 now, we'll see. And I, I don't under, quite understand... It seems like uh, those that um, um, those that had um, sons like Eli, and they died in battle. Of course, Eli died after he heard it, and Samuel also now has problems with his with his sons. Beginning in verse one. It came to pass when Samuel was old, and he made his sons judges over Israel. Now the name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second is Zebiah. And they were judges in Beersheba, and his sons walked not in the ways, but turned aside after lucre, and took bribes and perverted judgment. So you, you never know, do you? His sons, then, instead of following in, the, in his father's footsteps, were taking bribes, perverting the judgment of the, of the land. Then all the, and, and this is what precipitated the, the division or the, the change. This is what precipitated the change. Now, 
Israel was probably ready for this anyway, but you remember, God prophesied this many, a long time ago, didn't he? He prophesied this way back when Moses, um, in, in the book of Deuteronomy, that someday Israel will ask for a king, just like the nations around them. And God says, okay, hey, you want a king? This is what the king does. And the first thing he had to do was write out a copy of the first five books of the Bible. He had to write it out himself. He had to have a personal copy that he wrote personally himself. Now, how many of those kings actually did that? The Bible doesn't really say. But I'll bet David did. <laughs> I'm almost certain David did. And maybe Solomon. So that was important to understand a king had responsibilities. Then all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and came to, to Samuel to Ramah. And this is uh, verse 4 of chapter 8. Verse 5. And he said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons walk not in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Hearken to the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should re to reign over them according to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day wherewith they have forsaken me and served other gods, so do they also to you. God doesn't forget. <laughs> he knows the character of these people. And he's watched them from the time that he called Abraham to walk in his covenant. He said, therefore now hearken to their voice. However yet, protest solemnly to them and show them the manner of the king that shall reign over them. And it's interesting, he does that. He does that. Samuel told all the words of the lords of the people that asked him a king. And he said, this will be the manner of the king that shall reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for himself, for his chariots, and to be his horsemen. And some shall run before his chariots. He will appoint him captains over thousands and captains over fifties. And he will set them to ear his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his instruments of war and instruments of his chariots. And he will take your daughters to be confectionaries and to be cooks and to be bakers. And he will take your fields and your vineyards and give to his officers and to his servants. And he will take your men servants and your maid servants and your goodliest young men and your asses and put them to work. And he will make the tenth of your sheep, and, he, and you shall be his servants. And it's interesting. That's exactly what transpired. You shall cry out in that day, because your king which you shall have chosen, and the Lord will not hear you in that day. Nevertheless, nevertheless, 
They were determined, weren't they? Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, Nay, but we will have a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations, that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. <laughs> and Samuel heard all the words of the people, and he rehearsed them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Hearken to their voice, and make them a king. And Samuel said to the men of Israel, Go you, every man, to his city. So, this began the first king. An interesting individual called Saul. Now there was a man of Benjamin, whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, and the son of Bechorath, and the son of Ephiah, a Benjamite, a mighty man of power, and he had a son whose name was Saul. Now look at the son. This, this is an interesting thing. Now, in the beginning, Saul had, a, I think, a good, good attitude and a good nature. But that changed quite quickly. He had a son whose name was Saul, a choice young man, and a goodly, and that means a handsome. And there was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he. From his shoulders upward, he was higher than any of the people. So he was a very tall guy, you know. I don't know what, what the height of the Israelites at that time were, but this guy was above them all. He stood, a, stood head and shoulders above them. And the story goes on that he was out searching for these um, donkeys. Uh, in the book, it's called, they're called something else. And we'll leave it at that. And we find in verse 15, Now the Lord told Samuel in his ear a day before Saul came, saying, Tomorrow about this time I will send you a man out of the land of Benjamin, and you will anoint him to be captain over my people Israel, that he may serve my people out of the hand of the Philistines. For I have looked upon my people because of their cry uh, is come to me. And when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said to him, Behold the man whom I spoke of you, to you, uh, this same shall reign over my people. So, God picked out Saul. And you heard what I read when I began. Things changed, <laughs> didn't they? Things changed in, 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 the, in the life. And, and I'm not going to be able to finish this today, but I, I would like to, to, to read a few more verses here because I... I want you to see a little bit about Saul himself. Um, and let's see. I'm, let's, let's, let's drop over here to, to, um, to chapter 10, even though I, there's a whole lot of, of things here that you, you might like to, to read in chapter 9. But I, I'm going to skip over to chapter 10, and I'm going to just read a few verses here. Samuel took a vial of oil and poured it upon his head and kissed him and said, is, not, is it not now because the Lord has anointed you to be captain over his inheritance? So we see the anointing, the, the, the God has picked Saul. He's now anointed. He's, he's, he is uh, essentially the king over Israel. Let's pick it up in verse 17. Samuel called the people together to the Lord in, to Mizpah. And he said to the children of Israel, this is the Lord God of Israel. I brought you out of Israel, out of Egypt, I mean, uh, brought up Israel out of Egypt, 
and delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all the kingdoms and all of them that oppressed you. And you have this day rejected your God who himself saves you out of all your adversaries and your tribulations. And you have said to him, Nay, but set us a king over us. Now therefore present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. So God wanted them to understand, first of all, that they had rejected him, but that they were all to come and they were to see what they were going to get. Because they were going to get a man that was going to rule over them as their king, and his name was Saul. And beginning in verse, uh, let's see where I've got it, and you want to re read to the end of this. And when Samuel had caused all the tribes of Israel to come near, beginning in verse 20, the tribe of Benjamin was taken, and, and when he had caused the tribe of Benjamin to come near by, by the families, the family of um, Matri was taken, and Saul the son of Kish was taken, and when they sought him, he could not be found. Therefore they inquired of the Lord further, if the man should yet come? And the Lord answered, Behold, he has hidden himself among the stuff. <laughs> Whoops, he was supposed to be there. And they ran, and they brought him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was higher than any of the people from shoulder and upward. And Samuel said to all the people, See you him whom the Lord has chosen, that there is none like him among all the people. And all the people shouted and said, God save the king. Then Samuel told the people the manner of the kingdom and wrote it in a book and laid it, upon, uh, laid it up before the Lord. And Samuel sent all the people away, and every man to his house. And Saul also went home to Gibeah, and there went, he, uh, there went with him a band of men whose hearts God had touched. But the children of Belial, that word means worthlessness. <laughs> the children of worthlessness, oh, that is really a powerful word that you really wouldn't want to have put upon you, said, How shall this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no presents. But he held his peace. And so I'm not going to go on any further. I think I, I would like to pick it up again from Saul into David. Because we find uh, some very interesting things uh, that, that God does with Saul, that Saul does, and that happens. And then also how that David is anointed king while Saul is king. But David does not want to take that position. It's a, it's a very powerful story about David. And, and it shows his consideration, his, his desire to honor Saul to the best of his ability, even though Saul tried to kill him a few times. A very interesting, very interesting narrative between what Saul, because God essentially rejects Saul, literally rejects him. And we're going to... We'll pick that up again and the next time that I get a chance to, to bring it out. And hopefully, I'll be able to get a little further than, uh, than this. Anyway, uh, one of the things that, that has always impressed me um, about going back and looking at those things that are in the Old Testament is that we know how important it is for the kingdom of God to come to the earth, don't we? We realize that under, no matter what man's hands has 
the government, eventually things are going to have problems because we're all human. We all have human nature. We all sin. And we all come short of the glory of God. So the biggest thing that, that, that helps me to understand the different things, the wars that went on, why God allowed uh, them to, to slaughter thousands, you know, because that's, that's also kind of an enigma in today's society. We, we really don't like the idea of killing lots of people, do we? Um, and so there's a, there's, a, there's, there's a very big gap there. And, of course, we see Jesus coming, and he's teaching love and concern. One of these days, that kingdom, when it comes to the earth, he's going to give us power over the nations. He's going to give us that power over the nations. And we're going to have that responsibility. And he's going to give us the ability to do it because we're going to be spirit beings in that kingdom. And so when we look at how God considers his commandments and his covenant and all of those things, it behooves us in our own life to live to the best that we can in worshiping and following God so that we can be in the kingdom, so that we can meet some of these individuals like Samuel and Saul and, and David in the kingdom of God. I look forward to that day someday.